Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. Hi, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Please visit our website, www.womenover70.com, where you can download the playlist of all the episodes. We also invite you to join our podcast discussion club, and we welcome being asked to speak to your organization or group. Each week, we showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. And today we are delighted to welcome Julie Purcell, age 74. Julie's been a part of my world since 2010. While she lives in Honolulu, Hawaii, she and I both taught the Emerging Leaders Program powered by Innerize. She in Hawaii and I in Chicago. And later, she was part of the instructor support group I facilitated. We had an immediate connection, and the depth of her caring with her students is why we knew you would want to hear her story. Julie's longtime career in business, and more specifically working with entrepreneurs, has been recognized throughout Hawaii. Sales, training, and teaching are where she excels. Julie's husband passed away three and a half years ago. How she managed his illness and is now managing on her own will be part of our discussion. So, Julie, welcome. Thank let's you, Gail. <laughs> you're very welcome. Let's start by telling us how you wound up in Hawaii since you're not Hawaiian-born. No, I wasn't, but I went to Lewis and Clark College. Uh, I had probably a dozen close friends who were from Hawaii. And after I graduated, I thought, I'm going to go visit some of them. And I got off the plane. And after about four days, I thought, why would anybody live anywhere else? (laughs) And immediately began looking for a job. Um, Had a bit of a checkered career, but I've never regretted moving here. I love Hawaii. What do you love about it so much? Um, the first thing is the people. There is a, what we call the host culture. The Hawaiians are very inclusive. They are warm, loving people and very likely to say, oh, okomamai, which means come on over. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband was Hawaiian and we had a tradition that we included Gail in, um, Every Friday night, we have something called Pauhana in Palolo, and we invite the neighbors or people we have met or people who are visiting, um, sometimes family. Uh, Today is Friday. It will be family this evening, and we will be socially distancing and uh, not hugging, but we will come together and we will enjoy each other's company. It's one of the things I love. I I remember that so well. You were so gracious to me when I visited Hawaii and visited you and your husband and and you welcomed me into your home and 
And we did, what do you call that again? It was called Palhana in Palolo. Palhana means uh, finished with work. So it's almost always at the end of the day. Um, Palolo is the valley where I live. And I love it not because it's paradise, which it is, but because there are such wonderful neighbors here. I love, love, love my neighbors. Yes. And, and you served something that was traditionally Hawaiian. Yes. What was that? Um, they're called Lao Lao, which is a, a little lump of um, pig uh, with um, butterfish, and it's wrapped in um, taro leaves. And then you have a little bit of poi on the side. Poi is um, a paste that's made from a corn that grows underground and you keep pounding it until it gets soft enough. And then you add a little more water, a little more water. And almost everybody has a variation on it. One finger means it's going to be pretty thick. You can hold, hold enough of a mouthful on one finger. As you add water, it gets a little more diluted until maybe it's three fingers. Okay. Yes. I, I remember it, it, it was really a wonderful experience. And so, Julie, uh, you know, I've, I've known you through entrepreneurial work. So, so tell us a little about that and what, what you love so much about working with entrepreneurs. Uh, well, first of all, I'm one myself. Uh, one of the stories that I, I teach that I start my class with uh, is explaining to people that I used to work for a company that um, I, I was in sales and I was doing very well. Uh, in fact, one, one morning the uh, boss called me in and he said, you're the first person to ever sell more than a million dollars for the company. And we are so excited. And he, he was very effusive and went on and I thought, wow, I'm trying to remember my contract, but I think if I, I went over a million dollars, there's some kind of bonus in this. I couldn't remember what it was. And he said, uh, so we're, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be making good on that, that bonus. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I'm going to be able to afford a new car. And he goes on and on. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I'm going to be able to afford a condo. And then he reaches in his desk drawer and he pulls out a $50 bill. <laughs> And to a person, you can see how let down everybody in the room is exactly as I was. I said, that was the last time I worked for someone else. Mm -hmm. I figured I was better off on my own. Mm -hmm. And that was 1989. I have been in business for myself since then. When I get people in a classroom, one of the first things I do is ask them, why they think they want to start a business. And sometimes things come up that are not, not good fits. People will say, oh, because I only want to work a couple hours a day. Hmm. That <laughs> might not be one of the things you want to do. <laughs> right. No, um, you're going to own your own business. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and I explained to them that most entrepreneurs are going to be working much longer hours than uh, people who would routinely work a 40-hour week. But when it comes down to it, what I found was 
about a third of the people after they finished the class would say, yes, I got everything I wanted. I'm going to go out and start my business right now. And I knew I could count on those people to be calling me within the week saying, okay, I, I, I don't know if you taught me this, but, but what do I do about this? So I'm always available to them. Then there's about a third of the people that say, whoa, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to have to do some more research. And I'll hear from those people probably in six months to a year. And then there's another third that are going to go, whoa, I'm keeping my day job. <laughs> <laughs> I love being able to sort those people out and giving them the support they need in order to be successful. There's something in me that just feels wonderful when they call me back and say, hey, you're not going to believe what I did this week. I mean, that for me is the payoff. <laughs> and it shows. It shows. <laughs> You've worked with different organizations in, uh, in Hawaii, right? In, yes. In Honolulu? Yes. Um, the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. Ah, okay. Okay, good. Yeah, Catherine, what were you going to say? I was just going to, I was going to ask you, Julie, is, is this the biz, the current business that you're doing, which is teaching and coaching? Yes. Okay. And then what do you do with the Office of Hawaiian Affairs? Um, I teach uh, startup for them. Okay. And I help them. We're in the process of, of um, creating another Another resource, um, the Council for Native Hawaiian Advancement is going to be doing many seminars, small resources, uh, primarily because they want to help create people who, who are skilled in, in what's needed. Uh, mm. Gail knows this too. On the first night of, of the MBA level class that we taught for Enterize, we go around the room and ask people what their biggest challenge is. To a person, they will say, I need more skilled people. I can't find the people I need. Mm -hmm. And so we're partnering with CNHA in order to be able to provide those skills and I'm, I'm about to hand that, that piece off to someone else. Um, mm -hmm. I, I can't put in the 80-hour weeks anymore. I, I can do <laughs> 35 or 40 just fine, but I have a dog that needs to be walked. So, <laughs> Yeah, and Jimmy's no longer there to walk him, right? Walk right. Yes, yeah, right. right. Yeah, so, so uh, what, are you, what else are you doing or how are you thinking about moving forward, if you're only going to put in 40 hours or 30 hours instead of 80, is there anything else on your plate that you're interested in? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, um, one of the things that, that I'm doing today, um, I just spent uh, about five months in a kind of volunteer situation with the SBA, helping to get the PPPs um, taken care of and keeping my fingers crossed that we're going to have a second round. So I'm going down to meet with a few people at the SBA today. And we're talking about creating a, a better resource um, 
solutions for better resources for all of our our businesses, whatever that's going to take. Enterise has done a great job of of doing that online, and we think we can do it here as well. Uh, One of the things that's happened during the pandemic is that a lot of people, uh, Hawaii Pacific University, the Chamber of Commerce, um, one of my former students who runs an incubator, have come together to work to help provide some of those resources. I'm going to be doing some of the marketing to help get the word out about that. Mm. For our listeners' sake, tell them what PPP is in case they don't know. Oh, uh, the um, payroll protection plan that was made available through the Small Business Administration uh, beginning uh, in May of this year uh, with the pandemic And we're keeping our fingers crossed right now that in the next uh, nine days, we have nine more days to get it done, uh, there will be a second round. And if that happens, then the other thing we would like to be able to do is make sure that there's a support system so that everyone can can manage. This is likely to be the last of those, those loans that are going to be available during the pandemic. Right. We want to make sure it's enough. Yeah. Julie, does this encompass all the islands, all of the Hawaiian islands? Uh, not only all the islands, we also handle Guam and American Samoa. Hmm. Yeah, and in fact, you were one of the first instructors to do a, um, a web interface with Guam students while you were teaching in, in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'm we sure call that. it the four thousand mile wide classroom. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, Julie, um, I know that you're you were married to the love of your life, and that um, Jimmy passed away three and a half years ago. So, do you want to talk just a little bit about what it was like for you and what happened, um, and how you're coping now? Um. Probably the thing that I I think about the most is that I became the his healthcare advocate. Um, he's Jimmy was Hawaiian, and uh, as as I described, very kind, uh, very gentle, not very pushy. So when someone would tell him to do something, he would probably just do it. Um, Take this drug, uh, do this uh, phase, whatever. Um, I became, as a healthcare advocate, a little more aggressive. And what I found was that, well, we were, first of all, we were in a teaching hospital in Seattle. And one of the things I I discovered was that because it was a teaching hospital, the doctors would rotate every day. So you weren't dealing with the same people. Mm -hmm. And I finally got to a point where I created a persona for him because I wanted them to understand that he was not the leukemia patient in bed 33. Mm -hmm. Mm. So 
I, I started by saying uh, good morning. I'm Julie uh, Purcell Perga, uh, and I want you to, to meet Jimmy Perga, the most interesting man in the world. Really, the uh, commercial that you've seen on television is based on this guy, and he can build a house, deliver a baby, uh, make the world's best chicken long rice, and um, if you come to his house, he'll give you a party, and you will uh, eat and laugh as Hawaiians do. So all of a sudden, they had a little bit of an idea of who this guy was, mm -hmm. instead of just another body, another patient. Hmm. Um, and I would ask, then I would also ask a couple of dozen questions that had to do with, with a medical condition. Um, you probably are aware that leukemia is, is something they can buy time on, but that they very rarely can cure it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they can give you a, a bone marrow transplant and they might, that might give you another year or two. But in the meantime, uh, you're going to be subjected to all kinds of, of invasive and painful uh, things that are going to go on. And nobody's asking you, do you mind if we intubate? Mm -hmm. They're saying we're going to intubate. Um, and I held off as long as I could. By the way, uh, my stepson is a doctor. So if it got to a point where I didn't understand, I could call him and say, what do you think the outcome would be if they did this? And he'd say, here's the options. So I could go back to them and say, I don't like the, the options. Let's mm -hmm. look at something different. And they were a little surprised. Uh, very few people uh, will say no to doctors at that level. Mm -hmm. Uh, what, uh, why did you wind up in Seattle rather than staying in Hawaii? Because there are there are no options here for treatment in Hawaii. Mm. We had we had two options. We had Seattle and uh, Los Angeles, and uh, because I had both family and and friends in um, in Seattle, we chose that option. You were there a long time, as I recall. Yes, we were there almost six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so what's life like for you now that you're you're aging solo? What What do you think about? Um. Probably the strangest thing that happened was that uh, because I wasn't here doing the kinds of things that I had been lugging. Uh, I have a big tropical garden, and I'm always, I was always moving five-gallon buckets of water around. <laughs> and when I, when I stopped doing that, I lost muscle tone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was a surprise to me to come home and, and try to lift that bucket, and, and it, it wouldn't move. Mm. Um, and if a dog pulls too sharply, uh, she can pull me over. Mm -hmm. So... I had to go get help. And I have to tell you, that might have been the toughest thing I've ever had to do. <laughs> I'm just not used to asking for help. How, um, how did you find the help you needed? Um, turns out I've got a, about 800 students <laughs> <laughs> uh, that are more than willing to do all kinds of things. Um, 
And one of them, who I look on routinely as my dog walker, uh, has reached a point where he refers to me as Mama. <laughs> Mama Julie. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a comfortable relationship. I can say, okay, um, if you'd like to walk the dog, uh, I'll make dinner. Okay. Except that apparently I'm not that good at cook. So now he's volunteering <laughs> to make dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. You've, you've had other people who see you as a mother figure. You, you don't have children of your own, correct? Just You have correct. stepchildren. But apparently I, I come off that way. Um, I, I don't see myself as maternal, but I, I've always been supportive of people um, that want to achieve something, um, whatever it is, how can I help? Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's something that's rolled off my tongue probably uh -huh. since I was a teenager. How can I help? Uh -huh. uh, so if somebody comes to me and says, hey, um, I'm having a problem with this and such, can I talk to you about it? Then you know, I'm there as a coach, what it, whatever it might be. And I guess the, the maternal side of me is, is um, kicking in. If it doesn't necessarily have to do with a business, then that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's so hard to ask, so much harder to ask for help than it is to give help? Ooh. Um, I grew up with a, a mother who was very self-reliant, and I think she instilled that in me as well. Um, I, you know, I've never really thought about it, except that to me, asking for help, me asking for help would be like a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see that in other people, of course. Um, <laughs> Yeah, one of those things I need to get over. <laughs> I had to ask for help moving some lumber in the yard. I, I live in a 71-year-old house, and occasionally a, one of the corners will start to settle a little bit, and I'll notice it because, oh, my gosh, I can't open the front door. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a former student who has a construction company. He said, Julie... I, you know, I'll, I'll be over tomorrow. Uh, I'll bring some lumber. I'll bring a couple of guys. We'll get it. And they do. They come and they get it taken care of in less than an hour. Julie, I'm wondering, you're, you're talking about learning to ask for help for the, the physical, the help with the garden and the dog and the house. I'm wondering about needing help and asking for help. Uh, more on the emotional side of, of things as you, um, as you, when your husband passed away and as you are, we call aging solo. What's that been like for you? Um, that was very difficult. Again, um, feeling like I should be shouldering this by myself. It certainly mm -hmm. isn't anyone else's responsibility. Um, fortunately, I had a wonderful friend and coach in Gail, and she was one of the first people I called. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I do have um, a counselor that I talk to here occasionally. Although strangely enough, um, not within the past year. It seems that the pandemic has kept me so busy I haven't had time. Mm. But yes, um, I finally did decide that I needed to talk to someone who was trained to do this, for heaven's sake, and not uh, just see what I could find on Google. <laughs> right. I'm asking because many of our, um, of our guests and listeners have experienced the loss of their spouse or life partner, uh, some quite recently. So um, your, your insights and kind of what some of the things that you've found challenging had to struggle with and um, where you are now, I think is people are really very interested in hearing about to whatever extent you feel like sharing it. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that that happened as a result of, of having been his um, health care advocate was having gone up against uh, all these people, in, including uh, the medical director of the hospital. Um, there's very little that can intimidate me. I'm somebody says, well, you can't do that, the so-and-so and such-and-such, and I'm, yeah, no, I can do anything. Um, yeah, physically, I'm going to have to ask for help. One of the things I have, I have decided I need to do is instead of being fearless and, and just taking off going down the road, is I need, sometimes I need to map out what I'm going to do instead of just going to do it. What, what does that mean, Julie? Um, making a plan instead of what my father would say, going off half-cocked. <laughs> <laughs> my, my father was the first entrepreneur that I knew. He, he ran his own construction company. And he left me with a wonderful phrase that I have used all my life and I give it to my students. Um, and it might not have been his, you might've heard this as well, but I love it. Uh, I never lose. I either win or I learn. Mm. Ah, I do love that. And it's, it's been with me since I was, I don't know, in my tweens. So I figure I've, I've reached a point where I have learned to make a plan instead of just reacting. Um, and there's a few things coming up that I will need to, to make a plan around. One of the reasons I'm going down to the SBA today so that uh, we can map out what, what everybody's going to be responsible for. Um, and even though I'm going to volunteer, I'm not going to volunteer to run the show. I'm going to volunteer to handle the marketing, and, and that will be my contribution. <laughs> yeah. So, so as you think about life moving forward again, uh, what, what do you see ahead in your next decade? Um, 
The thing I'm looking most forward to is my role as grandmother. Ah. Mm -hmm. I have a big basket of Dr. Seuss books that I am going to use um, when, not if, but when we get back to school and I can go in to my granddaughter's classroom and read Dr. Seuss books, uh, especially Horton Hears a Who, which I think is the best <laughs> book ever written. <laughs> because a person's a person no matter how small. <laughs> and I love I love the lessons that come from from that. And I, I love the idea of talking to children about that. I can I can hardly wait. I have um, a new grandson who is not quite four months old, mm -hmm. and he's absolutely adorable. It, he looks like he's going to grow up to be a sumo wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> he has the sturdiest little legs I have ever seen on a baby. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, this has been delightful. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our guest. And um, we will stay in touch. Yes. Thank you, Julie, for joining us today. Well, thank um, you so much for having me. Thank you. And listeners, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and become an active participant in our community through the Facebook group and monthly Zoom gatherings. We'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.